and Shed podcast, and we have got a uh, few guests uh, in studio here today. Uh, let's uh, introduce them. We'll start with Cody. Of course, Cody's in here with us. Yep. We've got Bill, Bill Preller of Ag Guru Machinery. Bill Preller, Ag Guru from Congerville, Illinois, Central Illinois. Illinois. And Lydia Wenning, the newbie, I guess. <laughs> yep. Lydia is the uh, the newest member. Um, and so we, we've got, uh, we're kind of doing a, a double podcast here. This is Lydia's first one. And uh, of course, uh, we're, we've got Bill in here. So yep. this is going to be a good one, I think. You know, um, let's just start with um, Bill. Why don't you tell us why you're in town? <laughs> I'm in town to have our really market planning discussion with Phoenix and where we go from here. It hit the uh, public uh, news today that we formed a technology partnership with CNH. And for them, that gets them access to our technology in the strip till arena. For us, it gives us access to Raven um, and other electronics. We're really agronomy and soils people. And we got into strip till because we knew there was a need in the market that wasn't being filled. The um, It's a technology partnership. Agri Machinery continues as an independent company. And we are now in a place to rapidly grow uh, with production capabilities behind us. And so this is really a market planning uh, discussion that we've had with Phoenix here today. So Aguru Machinery, something that may be new to some folks' ears, you know, in the last couple of years. I know it was to mine. So that must mean uh, that this is a newer company that, that kind of just got dreamed up a few years ago probably, right, Bill? Well, it was dreamed up ago, uh, and if you can't see this on the radio version of this, um, the, uh, the smile across the table here. It was actually dreamed up um, when I was a teenager in that, or maybe before, there is an image of Bill Preller, and I haven't found the picture that my mother took, sprawled out in front of a fireplace and studying farm machinery, a literature as a kid. And so I've always had iron in my blood. So in that way, the dream is almost as old as I am. The strip till portion of this dream is that I was hired into DMI as an agronomist, but to focus on strip till and nutrient placement. And then recently, just everything came together that it was time for me to be back in the machinery business. Um, and it was time to focus on strip till. So we spent our first money in 2018. We spent uh, a year and a million dollars on pure research and started our product development in 2019. Sure. Um, you know, strip till is something that's been kind of a fad catchphrase for quite some time. There's so many versions of it. Um, why don't we touch on a little bit of your background, dig in just a little further as to why I believe, and obviously you do as well, Aguru isn't a splash in the pan. <laughs> the If you look at strip till as just another practice, the fad portion, then you're looking at it from an iron perspective of just another thing. That's not how we think. Um, I'm in the iron business, but I'm an agronomist at core. Um, uh, my first love as a kid was cattle and my second love was corn and the corn part has stuck with me ever since. Our job is to grow a better corn crop and yes, that extends to soybeans or milo or cotton. Um, but in the strip till world, our job is to better, grow a better corn crop. The agronomy is four things, uh, crop residue management, soil till, plant food availability and seed bed conditions. The fifth one is not our job, which is seed placement accuracy, but those four all have to come together in whatever soil management system you use. And strip till is the best combination. There is, if you do it right, strip till done better, is the best combination, the, is the optimum of each of those things. So let's pick a very specific example. Most people are used to doing tillage. Tillage mixes residue into the soil. What does that mean? It means you just put residue into the seed zone. I've never in my life heard an agronomy, agronomy person, an agronomist say seed to residue contact. No. And yes, I'm smiling. It's seed to soil contact. Mm -hmm. The minute we mix residue into the seed zone, 
We've just violated basic agronomy. The next piece would be, okay, let's talk about soil tilth, and I use that specific phrase. The word that is much more popular now is soil health. Well, interesting that very little gets talked about in the context of soil health. What we mean by soil health is biological activity. Well, but we never define it. It's quite often left open. No, it's very specific. The biological activity we want in the soil is aerobic bacteria, bacteria life organisms, biology. That means oxygen. So tillage puts lots of oxygen in the soil, too much. No-till, especially on poorly drained soils, doesn't get any oxygen into the soil. So again, we have an optimized system with a controlled pass that puts a certain amount of oxygen in and actually is by far the optimum for soil health. Go to plant food availability. Notice the phrase isn't fertilizer application, it's plant food availability. We don't buy fertilizer just because we like to write a check and make the fertilizer company rich. Come on, there is a point here. It's called grow crop. So plant food, not fertilizer. Fertilizer is what's in the bin. What we put on the field, we want it to be plant food. That was kind of the point. Mm -hmm. And so for it to be plant food, the fertilizer has to be available to the plant. Okay, so what is the simplest and best way to do that? How about if we put it in the root zone? Okay, what a concept. Instead of spreading it on the surface, it runs into a lake, a water stream, or it evaporates or it does whatever, or we bury it, but we broadcast till it, it's not in the root zone. Strip till does the optimum. It puts it in the root zone where the plant grows below the surface, bingo. Now we get to seed bed conditions. That's a place where a lot of strip-till has failed in the past. Converted applicators, I was a DMI guy. I did a lot of research with converted applicators. We made a lousy seed bed. We lost stands, especially in high clay soils. Here we sit in Northwest Ohio, West Ohio, right? We got clay, right? Oh yeah. So it's called a double rolling basket. It's all those things that we do to try to get seed to soil contact. Mm -hmm. Most strip-till rigs don't do a good job of that or a good enough job of that. So a piece of this is we've got to match the best conventional seedbed in a strip to get the best stands. Precision planning's taught us that, right? But if you do all four of those correctly with the iron, you truly have the optimum agronomic system for a row crop. That's what strip-till better is for us. Interesting. Um, you know, strip till um, is is definitely popular, um, but it's it's not for everyone, and, and you know that. But you're you're looking to change that. Yes, um, the first business plan that I truly wrote was now six years old, and the mission for the company was to take strip till mainstream, to take away the compromises. Um, there was a DMI phrase that I've loved ever since, design and manufacture with ingenuity, right? DMI. And that ingenuity word has stuck with me and with us. Ingenuity is cleverness in a good way, right? It's ingenious. It's, it's clever. There's brains behind it, but it's for good. That's what ingenious, in, ingenuity inspires in us. So the phrase that we've adapted is eliminate compromise with ingenuity. Farmers are faced with lots of compromises in all kinds of places. Many of them they can't control. We sure as heck ought to make it possible for them to control that they don't have compromises with their equipment. So we set out with basic research, even though I have a professional lifetime of experience in strip till, um, with basic research on what works, what doesn't work, why, I was dead wrong on some things um, just because I was too much in the box and we had to do the research and figure out, no, I was wrong and figure out what to do about it. Mm -hmm. So the, the open-mindedness that ingenuity requires, the open-mindedness to understand what is in fact a compromise instead of something we just accept. That was really the core to the start of our business and, in fact, for our machine design. I see. Um, the, you know, 
like I touched on earlier, Ag Guru is only a few years old. Correct. Um, but let's touch on uh, Bill Preller's early years. You started. <laughs> you mentioned it at DMI, uh, but I think people would be interested to know more about your red side too. Yep. So I started at DMI as head of agronomy research. I was a crop consultant since I got out of college in 1980. What a wonderful uh, time for those of you old enough to, re- to know that time. Uh, to decide to be self-employed in the agronomy business. Uh, you have a pick here where the U.S. government's paying farmers not to farm, and I'm a crop consultant. Yeah, that was a tough year. Um, but started as a crop consultant. Agronomy is my core game. Uh, became agronomy research lead for DMI. They had the phrase, helping plants thrive, which is now our registered trademark. Um, and that was the point, to drive a mindset of it's not about the iron, it's about the agronomy. Well, DMI was acquired by Case Corporation in 1998. Um, and then I became head of agronomy research for Case IH, Case Corporation, and DMI combined. Um, that led to that I led engineering for soil management products, the DMI engineering crew, with a healthy complement of Case IH folks uh, in there as well. Um, that led to global product development lead. They called it a platform leader, uh, but global product development for, for soil management. That led to global uh, platform leader product development for planting and seeding. So the rebirth of Case IH into the uh, planter business uh, was um, part of what I got to be a part of. And then I got moved back into the commercial side of the business inside the Case IH brand sales and marketing of crop production equipment, uh, original sales leader for Case IH, and the last role I had was head of specialty products, which is essentially everything but a tractor and a combine uh, in the Case IH brand in North America. I see. So a lot of uh, years involved with Case IH and, and your familiarity with not only planting and seeding, but tillage as well. Tillage, and in fact, the whole product line. And of course, through that, I spent a lot of time with precision ag and, and advanced farming systems. This is a place where I need to put a human side to this. Um, the, uh, a lot of familiarity with Case IH, but my mother couldn't decide whether to be proud of me or embarrassed. Uh, my family was all John Deere. My great-grandfather was the Omaha branch manager for John Deere, and um, my mom was definitely a green undershorts kind of person. So okay. um, so that uh, that mixed background. But yeah, a lot of experience with Case IH, a lot of different roles. One of the jokes was that I had to be a consultant. I had 10 jobs in 18 years, so um, you know, couldn't hold a job. But I was given incredible opportunities. I learned a lot, way more than I could ever imagine as a young person. And I look back, I'm in my 60s now, um, and say, wow, this set me up to do what we're doing right now. Everything sure. led us to do what we're doing right now, whether it's agronomy or iron sure. or, or business in general. So, you, go ahead. You know, with what we do, we deal with like ISO rate controllers plugging in for liquid applicators or um, cover crop seeders, a lot of different rate controllers. And I always said that if I could ever be in the same room with the guy that invented the Pro 700, I'd hit him over the head with a hammer. Is that you? Uh, well, I didn't invent the Pro 700, but there's probably some dents in my head. So add yours, go for it. <laughs> I'll hand you the hammer. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Yes. I I get the sentiment. How about that? Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So with all that then became Ag Guru. So where does the name Ag Guru come Uh, from? Ah, yes. That that magical question. Well, it started as a joke in a very friendly way. Um, We're sitting just not too far across the line from the Indiana border, but some of you may remember the name Diener Seed. Um, Diener was very well known for soybeans. And in my crop consulting days, one of the things I did is I worked for uh, smaller to mid-sized seed companies training their sales forces on agronomy. And actually what this thing did that they were selling because they might be a good salesperson, but they didn't really understand corn agronomics. Well, Diener was a well-known local uh, regional seed brand in soybeans, but they decided to get into the corn business. 
and they hired me to help train their sales staff on corn. So one of the Diener brothers nicknamed me the corn guru. And it was in jest and in fun and in respect and not due to me, the nickname guru stuck. So, okay, it's a long, long time later and I'm starting a company. It's got to be a guru. Mm-hmm. So that's where the name guru came gotcha. from. Gotcha. Sure. Guru is a cool name in that it's an expert without the pretense. Yeah. Right. Guru is somebody that's down to earth, literally, that you trust. And so in a very serious way, I'm very grateful to Deaners for that name. Right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the hot shot. It wasn't the expert. It was it was down to earth, but knows what he's doing. Yeah. And that means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, since both. uh you and Lydia are guests today. Lydia, we're 16 minutes in on his introduction. You can have the next 16. <laughs> I've only been here for a month and still learn a lot. <laughs> so let's talk about your background. So uh, right out of high school, actually, my senior year, I kind of did like a little co-op program through the FFA, and I started at Cooper Farms. So I kind of started in the uh, turkey side of things, kind of riding along with the reps, you know, learning the turkeys and, the, you know, the business of Cooper's which was a great experience. Like I loved it there. You know, the people were awesome. It's a great company to work for, but you know, I kind of like a month ago kind of realized, Hey, I don't know if I really want to do this, you know, the rest of my life type of deal. So Ethan and I drove past one day at Fennec equipment and he's like, dude, that'd be a really cool place to work for great people, you know? So, uh, drove past, you know, had that idea stuck in my head. I was like, okay, you know, took it in consideration. And I was talking to one of my coworkers actually. And She's like, hey, I, I know Adam Fennig. Like, let me let me forward you his number. So, you know, forward me Adam number and, well, the rest is history, I guess. So Sure, sure. And uh, what I, I, you know, I remember whenever uh, Lydia had reached out and I was like, you know, we don't have a firm position right now, but, you know, let's, let's give it a shot and see what we can find. Um, so talk about maybe what you've done so far, what you want to do and uh and where things have gone right so like right now i'm just doing a lot of like follow-up calls with uh a lot of the people that you know bought stuff over the years and i just really want to kind of pound on that customer service and make sure everybody's getting taken care of Uh, that's our biggest goal right now and it's it's had a lot of good feedback you know i think a lot of guys are appreciating that uh you know even though they bought a tool you know years back that you know people are still caring about them here you know sure um, and, you know, just kind of really hounding that uh, customer service. That's because that's really what's important and that's what's going to bring people back. So that's what the goal is right now is, you know, continue learning and kind of get to that point. Um, mm-hmm. And then possibly in the future, I mean, after I learn a lot, uh, possibly <laughs> getting sales. So Sure. Well, you know, the all you got to have, and uh, Bill, you can jump in. I think all you got to have is the want to. Yep. And the confidence, yep. and you'll you'll be able to just <clears throat> pave your path. One of my most powerful mentors boiled everything down. You got to have the gotta wanna. If yeah. you got the gotta wanna, everything else works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. go for yeah. it. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the plan. Yeah, you'll you'll be able to. Uh, you know, it it boils down to effort. Mm-hmm. You know, if yeah. you want to, you know. Cody and I, you know, hit each other over ham over the head with hammers all the time. You know, hey, you got to demo that. You got to do that. Why didn't you do that? Or why did you do that? And mm-hmm. uh, it's, but but it keeps us to a certain level. Yes. You yeah. know, and and we know we've proven it even in the last few days that you got to demo. You yeah. got to sell. You got to get in front of customers. Mm-hmm. You got to be confident, and you got to know what you're doing. Yeah. And when when you can do that and show a customer that you're not only here for today, but you're here for tomorrow and a while, and that's part of what this you know Wallbash location is going to provide too is longevity, efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're showing customers that we're when the products we carry aren't fly by night products it's we we want to own it we want to be the experts and uh and you can see that from our product line Mm -hmm. you can see that from investments that we're making and uh so yeah i think i think you know you say you have to learn a lot but really 
you just got to have the the want to yeah and everything that you think you need to learn comes mm-hmm. you, you need to know who to call yeah sure. is what i always say mm-hmm. so lydia your investment is the time the effort the showing up right you got to show up that's your investment the customer's investment is they bought a piece of equipment they're seeing Fenning's investment in taking care of them whether it's Lydia right. or facilities or the quality of the product lines you carry all mm-hmm. of those things matter because that's part of the return on investment that your customer makes yeah they didn't just buy steel they bought somebody to take care of it yeah and own it with them and care yeah. right sure. so yeah. Lydia you're in the caring business you care that that's what it matters right, right? yep I yeah. agree I agree we're, we're going to create plenty of opportunities for everyone um, on our team to grow mm-hmm. and and support customers absolutely and Adam you just said something that yeah I'm older than you but it's never served me wrong you don't hire people for positions you yeah. hire people for people and yeah. then you figure out the position you let them grow into it and you can have great people that don't fit a position if you force them in the position that's the mistake let the great people learn into what they're going to be sure mm-hmm. and you got it. So yeah. your model's perfect. Your model is a way to grow and succeed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, we, uh, you look, we've got plenty of inventory, uh, but that's because of the confidence in our sales team. Yep. Um, a lot of the inventory that we have coming isn't even really here yet. So we got to keep moving it. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, we've got great confidence in our sales team. We also have got, have got a location built up in Eastern Northeast Ohio, yep. Uh, yep. Nova. Yep. Um, so we've got four people on staff up there. Okay. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. Well, you made a statement just a minute ago about, um, sales, what the word gets over you sometimes, but what popped in my head is engagement. Too many, way too many people in the equipment business think the business comes to them. They think it's their customer. They got it dead wrong. It's not their customer. They don't own the customer. They serve the customer. And the way you serve is you engage. You show up. You make the effort. And that's worked for me. Obviously, it's working for you. It's going to work for Lydia. Um but that whole engagement of we're taking the initiative, we're going to the customer, we work for them. That mindset, I can feel it here. And in many segments of the ag equipment business, it's missing. Sure. So, yep. and I think yeah. farmers can relate to that as well. I think so. So. Um, so, yeah, you know, Bill called me yesterday afternoon and, and uh, he said, Adam, I'm five and a half hours away from you right now. I've never met you before, but I'm going to be at your shop tomorrow. If it works, do you think that'll work? And I'm like, well, I mean, we're going to make it work. So, you know, um, so he's like, when do you want me there? And, you know, I said, well, let's do, you know, right before lunch or whatever. And, uh, so, uh, the reason he's here, obviously he touched on that is, is ag guru and, and, and case IH joining forces in a way, if I can say that right. Um, but what, what do you think um, sets Ag Guru apart? Because we know there's competitors in the market. There's people sure. that can that can have stripes through the field. Yep. Um, what is it about Ag Guru that that you think this partnership and and people that you believe in uh, can take you to the next level? So internally, for me, this is a passion. Right. You you don't have to meet me for very long to know that. I'm passionate about what I do. This is not a job. This is a life calling um, that I happen to make money at. um, But I do that by serving customers. So the mindset of service, the the mindset of my passion is to the value of someone else. That's That's a core life position. That's not even a business or a profession. That's just who I am, right? So you start with that. Then you get to that fresh out of college, I worked as a crop consultant with farmers trying to make strip uh, no-till work, poorly drained soils, wasn't flying. We made strip-till work, and so a lifelong love and passion for strip-till specifically. Take that to 
the agronomy driven iron okay what's different is not about the iron we have two really high-end uh engineers neither of them came from ag and that's not a shot at ag engineers but it was that we deliberately wanted a fresh set of eyes we wanted the high-end skill set and none of the baggage and so they've had to learn some things the hard way um like duh but they've also brought us that on our big toolbars, we use a 16-inch square single tube. Well, guess what? It's lighter and it's way stronger than twin 7x7s. And nobody in ag ever thought of that. We're literally the first people to have ever done that. It's literally out of the 7x7 box. Well, that was Austin. All right, Austin was construction, not ag. Mm-hmm. An ag guy would have said, pile the number seven by seven on it. That's what I did. I was wrong. He got it right. So the third piece is really that fresh look. And the last piece is it's not about the iron. It's about the customer. That's what makes us different. So if you couple the best agronomics for the iron with an attitude that our job is we serve a customer, the way we marry that is our first customer is the soil. Our second customer is the seed because the seed has the soil. The soil has a seed as a customer. The seed grows into a plant. The plant is actually the customer of the farmer, right? We start with the soil, we lead to the farmer, but we think that way and our machinery is designed that way. That's what makes us different. So let me ask you a question you might have an answer for. Um, the agronomically strip till is the way to go yep feeding feeding the crop yep but mainstream you drive around and it's all full with tillage driving back and forth seven times yep what why why doesn't everyone do strip till so you said the comment a minute ago that strip till is not for everybody it is a high management practice okay i drove a tractor on a tillage tool when i was six okay you're not going to put a six-year-old in a strip-till rig. It's not going to happen, right? right. So um, the, the mindset that strip-till is the equivalent of planting in terms of it's a high-precision, high-tech operation. It involves controllers and fertilizer and guidance. It's not just random tillage. That's the first negative to strip-till, and it's also a positive. A 40-foot strip-till rig, 16 row, even if you're running a shank in some heavy soil, will take half the power of a disc ripper. Two four-wheel drives that both pull 22-foot disc rippers can pull one 40-foot strip-till rig. So I just cut my labor and my tractor and all my capital expense in half. So the negative of strip-till needing a high-class operator is actually the positive that I don't need most of my operators. Now I have the one that I will invest in that I'll get a return on. So the negative becomes a positive. The next item is that strip till has not matched agronomically conventional tillage. Um, the story that comes to mind, a very well-known precision planting dealer bought a strip till rig, ran it side by side across their farm for three years. And at the end of the three years, the average yield hit was 20 bushel compared to their Akala Tiger and their Tiger Mate Field Cultivator, which was their standard practice. And this was central Illinois, beautiful black soils, very forgiving, and they still lost 20 bushel. Why did they lose 20 bushel? Because they were giving up 3,000 net stand plants. You give up three years, that's 20 bushel. And they sold the strip-till rig and they're turning everything black every year. So we have to rethink strip-till that it's not a bad version of no-till or it's not a compromise. We've got to treat it like it's a super high-class agronomic soil management system. Yeah, I see the same thing. Um, strip-till is a management game. Yes. And, uh, yes. you know, if, if you have the people in place, uh, the high-end people, the high-end operators, yep. um, I think you can thrive under strip till, no doubt. But you're right, it, it definitely takes a special person 
uh, or operator to, to run a strip till rig, but it's the same type of people that you need to be running your planner too. Right. So, um, yeah, it, it's very interesting. Do you advocate more? Or what's your opinion on fall versus spring strips? I hear this question all the time. <laughs> all the time. So there's two places where spring strip till is dominant for very different reasons. You've come farther east in the Corn Belt, certainly Delmarva Peninsula, Chesapeake Bay, sensitive watersheds, go to Lake Erie, a good chunk of Pennsylvania. It's all spring because it's all driven by nutrient application, right? They can't put nutrients on in the fall. They're going to do it one pass in the spring. So in that case, it's all environmental sensitivity, which is legitimate. We know what Lake Erie looks like. Um, and so that's a spring thing. Now the catch is in clay soils, that's pretty tough, right? It's wet. So that has led to non-traditional, traditional strip till was a knife or a shank. So now you see a lot more that's shallow, that's colter. In the traditional uh, knife market, think Illinois and converted applicators and DMI, um, knives, that level of tillage is still appropriate, but you see shanks coming in to go deeper to take out plow pans. And you also see coulter tillage in the spring running fast. You can run 12 mile an hour. You can cover a ton of acres and put a nitrogen pass on and get it off your planter. The flip side where spring is used is the Western Corn Belt. And it's all because of water. If you're in Yuma, Colorado and you get four inches of rain a year, you are not doing this in the fall because you're gonna open it up and lose water. You're gonna uh, strip till it deep so you open up this hard packed dry baked soil, you're going to get your spring rains and you're going to plant it. And it's going to be with all within a 30 day window. The, it's a related question to what you just said about spring fall, but it's also about shank coulter. One of the compromises on the iron side, there were two camps. Well, there were knives, which were the converted applicators from 40 years ago. Um, then there was shanks and the leading uh, two companies or shank folks. And so strip till got associated with shanks. Okay, I can't run a shank in the spring. If I run a shank, I bring up rocks in rocky conditions. And lo and behold, the coulter market was born. But there wasn't a coulter unit on the market, and there really still isn't, that you can also run a knife for a shank. And the shank folks that try to convert to coulter units, that didn't work so hot. So that was a compromise going back to iron that was also tied to agronomy. We worked from day one that all of our units are convertible between shank to coulter or knife to coulter or vice versa. So you can run a shank in the fall, you can run a, a coulter in the spring, all with the same tool, no added investment. Again, capital efficiency, labor efficiency, all of those things. Eliminate compromise. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what I've got a lot of guys hungry for yep. is a tool that, you know, there have been many strip till rigs that we've sold, let's say in June of 23, and they don't run that thing until September, October of 24, mm -hmm. because maybe it was too wet that yep. fall. Yep. And, and, and maybe they purchased a rig that, is a colder unit so they couldn't run it in the spring of 24 so now they're running it in the fall of 24 mm -hmm. you know so um guys are hungry for a unit that can do it all do it all effectively without compromise yep like you say so part of what has limited which was your earlier question the whole strip till market and the adoption of strip till was you had all these niche products they fit an area they did a job the promise of strip till is that you get to do it all well in one pass. I don't have to have a separate fertilizer application pass. It's done. I can do my primary tillage and my seedbed tillage in one pass. The limitation is, okay, what if I can't get it done in the fall? All right, do what you can and then have a tool that allows you to turn right back around and run shallow and fast in the spring and okay, so you're not gonna open up your clay soils eight inches deep in the wet spring, but at least you can make a way better seed bed mm -hmm. and use the same tool. That's the eliminate compromise. Sure. Yeah, and I think I think that really fits into what guys are hungry for. Like I said, 
is a uh, you know you've got your low draft unit you've got a, a you know a shank style unit yep. i think you cover the board on on products i'm most attractive to the low draft yep. um you know the ability to run a knife shallower mm-hmm. um but then also be a colder unit right. uh, much like what some guys today would call a freshener yes um like what they've seen out on the market today yep it's interesting as tillage has changed. So think about how deep we used to moldboard plow. It started out four or five inches. It went to six. Maybe it went deeper. But a lot of plow pans were six, seven, eight, nine inches deep. And then what did we do with the disc chisel? We thought we were going deeper than that. No, we weren't. We were running on top of it. So maybe we ran a disc ripper or certainly we run an inline di- ripper deeper than that. But if we think about tillage practices, the seedbed tillage passes, and it doesn't matter whether it's a soil finisher that turns the soil to dust or whether it's a vertical till tool, we're running two, three inches deep. Where's the compaction layer behind that? You're getting a compaction layer. Where is that? It's three to five inches deep. When we run a shank eight, we're actually wasting a lot of power that doesn't really address what's going on in the soil. you know, again, you can't see this at home, but literally on my belt, this is the agronomist in me. I'm pulling out a knife. Why do I carry a big knife? Because that's the place to tell where compaction is. You dig a hole, you come in from the bottom. In many, 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 many situations, you're going to find the bottom of the compaction layer at four to five inches deep. Where do we run a knife? Five and a half inches deep, just below it. The typical shank machine that's running at seven or eight, it's just wasting power. And if we can't run that deep in the fall, it's too wet or we can't get it done, then fine, drop the knife and run coulters and cover a lot of acres fast and still open it up, get some oxygen in and make a beautiful seed bed. That, that was the other limitation on a lot of strip till guys was covering the acres fast. Yes. You know, if, if you've got a mole knife going six to eight inches deep, you're chugging along, listen to your tractor <laughs> scream at five mile an hour. <laughs> And there's rain coming in two days and you got 800 acres to cover it, there's just not enough hours in the day well um, let's turn that on its head so our biggest baddest shank machine which is a 40 foot 16 row that's rated for 600 plus horsepower that same machine you drop the shank you put colders on it you're running 12 mile an hour at 40 foot you can cover 600 acres a day yeah a section a day yeah and that's putting on fertilizer so a spring pass with either fertilizer if you didn't get it done in the fall or a fast pass with some nitrogen to get it off the planter um or the first pass before a a side dress wide drop type thing um you can cover a huge amount of acres it's just not the traditional way yeah it's not a shame yeah yeah that's why i think you know the the low draft style or you know we've seen a big push towards that colder style and i think yep. it's just efficiency yes you know everything's going faster yep high speed planners well how can you have a high speed planner and a slow speed strip tiller <laughs> it just won't work it doesn't work yeah and, and think about what we do even with vertical tillage if we're running a couple inches deep uh trying to open up soil get oxygen into it give that seed a better healthier place to live well that's what coulter strip tillage is it's just in the strip why would i do it everywhere and burn all that power why don't i do it where the seed goes kind of obvious and then if you are going to take out the the shallow compaction layer uh typically done by vertical tillage or seed bed finishers type tools then sure run your knife at five and you've got it and either way it's way more power efficient than traditional strip till or what we think of as traditional strip till right so before where were ag guru products manufactured so we have we are in the process right now frankly the last few months of transitioning and that's part of what we're ready for with this cnh case ih technology partnership thing um We've still effectively been an R&D-based company up until last year or through last year. We started with pure research in 2018. We built our first production unit that ran the fall of 2019. We sold our first units in 2020. We had our first real production year in 2021, and then we grew some in 2022. 
but those were still local, small, great people, but local fab and weld shops in in our neighborhood, right? Um, Now we have a full bore production capability with an advanced manufacturer uh, in Northeast Indiana, actually, um, not too far from here. And that is a part of this transition from, we now have three fully configured row units. Um, We have six different toolbar chassis from four rows to 24 rows, um, you know, up to 750 horse. We've got the product line. And I guess that's one thing I, I should mention. When we talk about compromise, and I talked about a lot of the current strip till players, they have a product and they filled their niche. But the minute they got outside of their niche, it didn't work. And we set up from the beginning, we had to, if we were going to truly make strip till mainstream, we had to work anywhere corn was grown. So literally there's a machine running today in Pennsylvania. Literally there's a machine running today in Colorado um, and so on. And so we've built a product line, not a product. Three different row units, seven different configurations, six different toolbar chassis. So that's why it took us five years, right? We've been in R&D mode, product development mode. Now we're ready to kick in the afterburners, both from a customer side, market engagement side, but we also have the capability on the production side. So right now, a lot of this merger for you is production and uh, you know being able to branch out with dealers. There is some dealer component, certainly. Um, it is interesting anytime, most times in the past, when an OEM farm machinery dealer has taken on a new product, especially something that's different, almost all the time it has failed because it's different. There's new things to learn. And um, there's a reason that OEM uh, dealers and OEMs refer to their dealers as distribution. Well, distribution doesn't have any value. It assumes all the value is in the product and that's dead wrong. The value is in the dealer that knows what they're doing to help the customer learn this new thing. So what we have going is a hybrid system, if you will, in that we will have a system that enables us to work with OEM dealers, case IH preference with this partnership but enables them to grow into it as they learn. And in the meantime, we maintain and depend upon and grow the relationship that we have with those who are truly specialists in strip till as you are. That's, that's the hybrid, that's the joint value that we can get bigger than a few strip till specialists, but we can honor and use that value to take the product more mainstream into the market. And that's an art. And, uh, but this approach has been done successfully before. It's recognizing broad base, but very intense specialist focus. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, I think it's, a, it's an interesting uh, merger. You know, you see a lot of companies that are smaller, but growing and have a great product. And everyone has limitations, yep. right? And, uh, you know, whether it's distribution or, or dealer network. Um, but I think something like what you've got going on now um, is, is pretty interesting. Um, as, you know, AgGuru grows uh, down the road with different dealers, I think that they've got the opportunity with your passion, I think is the big part of it, um, to, to really do what you want to do and that's taken uh strip till mainstream well it's an interesting phrase we've all heard it and i don't know who it belongs to but the best way to create the future i'm sorry to own the future is to create it right and so it doesn't matter whether it's elon musk or it was amazon or before that it was walmart they owned their place in the market because they created their place in the market. Mm -hmm. And we have that opportunity right now in strip till. Nobody owns strip till. John Deere's gotten into it with a partnership agreement, um, but it's not their product. And so we have an opportunity to own it 
by creating the right relationship among us as a manufacturer and dealers and customers. Yeah. It's got to take all three. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. Um, let's refer back to some products that some listeners may be familiar with. We talked back at the office about, um, you know, maybe like an 875. Yep. Talk about, um, you know, the popularity of that and, <laughs> and your familiarity with that product line. Well, one of my first big engineering projects, um, and it's a testament to uh, uh, perseverance, um, the 870 took us three times to get it right. We failed twice. We had concepts that we got pretty far down the road in product development, and it just didn't do what it was supposed to do. Um, but that just meant we didn't know enough. And here we are, we're DMI. We, we own the disc ripper market. We think we know everything. But we were trying to take disc rippers, this primary tillage, to a machine that truly did crop residue management and soil tilth, and less so plant food availability, but certainly seedbed. A 30-series disc ripper in heavy clay soils left it so rough you could never create a seedbed out of it. And we learned that, interestingly enough, looking at our sales. We had great sales in black soils and terrible sales in low organic matter clay soils, all because of the seedbed. So the back end of the 870 that became the 875 was really a big focus. But in the process, what we had to learn was truly how to build a machine that was a system instead of a disc ripper. A disc ripper is disc ripper. Well, wait a minute, we got one more thing to do. We got to create a seed bed out the back end and we didn't get it right. And so that experience of perseverance, discipline, learning, being open-minded to what we don't know, um, you know, learn fast, fail fast, uh, but make sure you learn. That was really the history. And even though Case IH had strong market share in disc rippers when the 870 was launched, it rocketed back to a totally dominant position because of what it did, and it's because we did our job and learned. And that's that same mindset that we're taking into strip till now. Yeah, that, that 875 is an impressive tool. <laughs> There's nothing else close to it on the market in market share or profitability for the company frankly and that's because customers pay a premium for it because it's that good yeah well that's a win right everybody wins then yeah yeah that's interesting um how many uh how many strip till bars do you think are out today that ag guru has we've got 50 in the market today okay. um and that's over the last three years yep. and again that was still more in a hand-built environment right sure. um really not a full production environment um, we will double that this year um, in just in this year's production. We have production capability. Um, our focus is we are underway with a full production and sales uh, market presence. Um, we want to own strip till. I see. I, so. And I get that vibe. <laughs> yeah. I got the vibe <laughs> yesterday when you called me. Yeah. So, um Obviously, we talked a little bit about what you think sets Ag Guru apart on on the mindset and thinking about, um, you know, agronomy first and mm -hmm. creating the seedbed. But what about on longevity, product development, yep. um, you know, ease of use and um, parts? Well, so I I worked in the uh, major OEM organization for eighteen years. And even at DMI, there was some of this. We made money on parts. And it's heresy. It's terrible in that mind world, in that world, to say, I don't want to sell parts. What? You've got to be crazy. Yes, I am crazy. Why? Because when a customer needs a part, it means they're down. They don't need a part in the off season. Right. They don't need a part in July for a strip till rig. They need a part when they were trying to get the next 300 acres covered, right? So I'm perfectly happy selling replacement coulters and blades and points, but I don't want to sell a, a part because something broke. And so you all talk about longevity. We have three product principles that actually were used at DMI 
and I'm proud of that heritage. But three product principles. The first one is dependable. Our farmer, our customer depends more so even with strip till than any other product except the planter that you never get a second chance, right? A disc gripper, okay, I got rained out, I can go back, or I did a crappy job, I'll hit it again, or maybe I'll hit it a second time with a soil finisher. You get one chance to make a good strip, and you don't get to fix it. Yeah, you could use a freshener and try and dress it up, but if you truly screw up that strip, you don't get to dress it up. Mm -hmm. So the customer, the farmer, is dependent upon growing a crop, is dependent on getting the right stand, the best stand, we have got to give them a good strip in one pass. So that's dependable because the customer depends on this. Our machine must be dependable. The second one you've touched on, it's productivity. You have a window of time. And the window of time is not under our control. It has nothing to do with the calendar. It has to do with whether it rained tonight or whether it didn't rain tonight, whether it's too hard or dry or whether it's too soft and wet. And we gotta run in the widest possible window. One of the things that has made the 875 Akala Tiger so great is it has a tremendous window. It'll run in mud and do an okay job. It'll run when it's bone dry, rock hard, and do an okay job. Now, will it be better in the sweet spot? Sure, but it's got the widest operating window of any product in its class, so it, it dominates, bingo. So productivity is the second one, and that's been, a, a, as you mentioned, a holdup for strip till. And so we've opened up the window. If you look at our back end, it doesn't have a basket on it. Uh, basket plug in mud. Anything with horizontal bars, I don't care how you design it. When it's muddy, it's going to plug. So you rip it off, well, then you don't get a seed bed. We don't do that. We use a different design. The third one is agronomy. So our product principles are dependable, productive, agronomic, in that order. Agronomy is what pays the bills, but if it's not productive, we didn't cover the acres. If it's not dependable, we couldn't even get it to run when we need it to, then agronomy doesn't matter. They build on each other. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a mindset again. Um, lots of companies look at reliability. Reliability is defined as out of the box, right? Did it not break when you first used it? Um, durability is the other half. How long did it last? The melding of those two is, is it dependable? Mm -hmm. Can I count on it? Sure. That's a mindset. And it's a design principle. Mm -hmm. Everybody looks at our machine and says, wow, that's overbuilt. Yep. On purpose. Yep. Wasn't a mistake. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yep. So there's more iron, better designed, stronger, lives longer. And we screw stuff up. We learn things the hard way. But our mindset is it's going to live longer. It's going to cost you less to run. Yeah, that's interesting. There's there's not too many um, outfits like that. There, there's not too many um, developers of a product that um, have even that I've, I've even met before. So that alone <laughs> is interesting to yep. me. Yep. So yeah. um, Lydia, what do you think? Think we can sell any Ag Guru bars? I don't know. I'm pretty confident listening to him. So. <laughs> well, we've got an eight row that's going to be running in Bucyrus this fall. Yep. Um, eight row 30. So, uh, so you'll be able to get your feet wet, Lydia, with one if, if you want uh, up there getting that thing going this fall. So that one will be pulling a Montag uh, or, or maybe it's mounted on it. Uh, but it'll have a Montag, bar, yep. Montag cart yep. um, on it. So, but yeah, we demoed... Um, I think we had two different units on that demo bar, maybe. Yes. Uh, a low draft and something else. I think you had a heavy-duty Coulter unit as well. I think so. Yep. Yeah, I think it was yep. a four-row bar, maybe. Okay. Yeah. That we demoed this past fall yep. up there in Bucyrus, and I, I was blown away. We tried it in corn, uh, corn stalks, bean ground. I was very impressed at, uh, at the consistency. Mm -hmm. uh, that you could get and you know we were out there running and and maybe at first it didn't run perfect and sean knew exactly what tweaks to make and we made them and and i was impressed that number one he he knew what adjustments to make and then when he did make them it it, it spit out what we wanted to see yep and sean is our product manager he knows the product as well or better than anybody else and he's been in a lot of different conditions but part of what when you say you made the tweaks that's usually what it takes. 
if we're doing our job right on the iron side, you shouldn't have to fight it. You should tweak it. Yeah. Right. And once you dial it in, tweak it for those conditions. One of the things we did specifically was try to broaden the environment for residue, since you mentioned corn stalks. Um, in most conditions, we can run right down an old corn row if people want to for controlled traffic, which is unheard of yeah. um, in the strip till world. The other thing we can do, we mentioned this in the ripper business, uh, we can run wet, we can run dry and make a good strip either way. Yeah. And some falls, it's going to be bone dry and other falls, you're going to fight in the water. We can run strips. If the tractor can run, we can run. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty wet when we did it. Yeah. I was, I was pretty impressed that, that it was able to go as deep as what we were, but yet crumble it down to a place where you thought you could plan into it. Yeah. It was very impressive. And I think the tweaks he was making was maybe down pressure either yep. on the unit or the basket. I, I don't recall. Probably both it? in that case. Um, but yes, in a Coulter configuration, down pressure matters. And in a demo situation where you've got a light, small unit, um, in a production unit and a full-size field machine, that's a real easy adjustment. You know the minute you pull in and you dial it and you're done and you go. Um, the One of the things that I like about if you look at pictures of our strips, literally anywhere we go, any soil type, any condition, wet, dry, the shape of the strip is going to look identical. It's a signature style almost, but it's agronomic. We take some air out of the strip with our strip conditioner, which is spiders in a gang, not basket, right? Because it handles mud much better. And it also will take bricks and turn them into decent sized if it's bone dry and rock hard. Um, but it takes some air out. One of the things about shank strip till in particular is if you're leaving air pockets and then it settles well in the spring you've got a very rough strip and so one of the coolest things is to watch one of our customers with ride control on their planner and they're just shocked at how smooth that is well that's because we took air out and we didn't let it settle yes we still have a two or three inch berm a tall berm so we have a berm we it'll shed water it'll do what it's supposed to do but we don't have a four inch or a five inch tall berm that settles into a two inch tall berm one place a hole another place and a big clod the next place and then we're trying to plant down so that uniformity down the strip is absolutely critical to planter performance and that's something we focused on and we're really proud of from a agronomic performance standpoint of we get the strip we want regardless of soil conditions or soil type. That's interesting. And that's, that consistency is what I saw. Yeah. You yeah. know, when, when we were going down through there. One of my favorite things, which you just reported on is one of my favorite, the passion, right? You got to fuel the passion and that has to come from somewhere is repeatedly we've been told over and over and over again, we're doing a demo or we're pulling in with a new machine. Oh, you can't run. It's to this, it's to that. There's too much residue, it's too hard, it's too uh, wet. Um, I just heard a story the other day, somebody I've known for a long time shared a story that he had heard a story, which actually was a, from a demo that we had done two years ago. And he just heard the story. It was December, it was mud, and everybody that came to our field day, which was about 30 or 40 people, said, you can't run, and we said, watch us. And so we're literally slopping around in the mud, making beautiful strips, shocking everybody, and everybody's looking at that saying, I can plan into that, how'd they do that? And so a friend of mine that I've known forever just heard that story a few weeks ago, from a demo we did, from a field day we did two years ago. That's mm -hmm. pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And so that ability to run in um, extreme conditions is a key um, opposite end of the, of the spectrum. You go into that baked rock hard stuff in the Western Corn Belt, four inch rain a year. Um, we were told repeatedly that what we did in one pass, and yeah, it's a super duty row unit, but what we did in one pass would have taken their normal brand 
um, two passes down the same strip to make a decent seed bed, and we did one pass planter ready. So that's a big deal. It's productivity. You've got to cover it when you have the chance. Mm-hmm. You don't get to control the calendar. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and uh, it is interesting how um, how different of a row unit it can kind of appear to be mm-hmm. but it, it goes back to the the thinking with the brain and, and for ingenuity but um i mean don't you know that row cleaners are supposed to be 13 inches <laughs> and tell me a 13 inch row cleaner that can take out 300 bushel corn stalks down the row for controlled traffic oh I, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah i thought they all could yeah exactly so yeah we make our own row cleaners we started out with others and we ended up designing our own blades and now we make them ourselves and it's a 17 inch patented uh, or will be patented soon um, blade and row cleaner Um, i mentioned a mistake early on one of the core mistakes i made and it cost us eight months um, is the culture goes first everybody knows the culture cuts and then the row cleaner cleans so look at XYZ, XYA, ABC, look at other people. They all put the row cleaner behind the colder. It took me eight months and two seasons to figure out I was wrong. I had my head in the box, not out of the box. In soft conditions, coulters push residue into the soil. In strip till, once they do that, you never get it back. And if the agronomic principle is seed to soil contact, having residue pressed right where your seed's gonna be is a really dumb idea. So we had softer row cleaners behind a coulter, and after two seasons of research, duh, put the row cleaner out front, clean, then cut. You're actually cutting root balls, but you're never pressing residue in because you've already cleaned it. Yeah. And that took the biggest, baddest row cleaner on the market, which now is what we have. So yeah, that ingenuity piece, that compromise piece, um, there's a perfect example of it. Yeah, I would agree. Um, We're gonna wrap up sooner than later here. I know you have things to do as well, but for the guys that are listening that aren't into strip till, but are curious about it, wanna learn more and maybe don't know if it's for them, what would you tell those guys? So think about, if it's not for you, think about what's the compromise that's stopping you. And I want to encourage you to claim the compromise, all right? I'm not here to tell you strip is great. I'm here to tell you that you should state what the compromise is that's stopping you. If you've seen lousy strips, well, then you don't want to do strip till and have lousy strips. You need to find a solution that gives you a great seed bed. If you've seen strip till and there's residue mixed in the strip and that means that you don't get good seed to soil contact, then you got to find a better solution. If you've seen the case where the disc ripper or the disc chisel is running all fall long when it's marginally wet and the strip till rig just plugs and can't run, well then that's not the right strip till rig. The encouragement I would give folks is don't accept the standard answer right look for what's more or look for what's better we've built a business out of that not saying we're going to be the solution for everybody but if you see what's stopping you then you know what you got to do to be able to do it so if you're curious don't take no for the answer say how do i do better and then challenge your suppliers challenge your dealers challenge your people that support you give me a better solution and that may be an agri unit or it may not be. I'm saying just as a mindset, that's what the dealer's job is, is find you the better solution. Because your idea is that strip till needs to be tra- uh, treated like the planter pass. Absolutely. It's a high management pass. It, it, uh, it is not the tillage of old where anybody can be in the, pl- in the tractor. You're putting down fertilizer. You're using full guidance. It is doing everything a planter is doing. Um, and so it's high management. If labor is the challenge, because you're used to that anybody can drive the tillage tractor, if that's the real limitation, then think about who are your operators and think about the value that your good operator, single or plural, gives you on a planner 
And if that's you yourself, great. Or if it's one of your operators, think about what that value is and then translate that same value is available if that quality of person is running your strip till rig because you'll get the better seed bed, you'll get the better stands, you'll get the benefit of the nutrients in the root zone, you'll get the uh, benefit of some oxygen into the soil but not too much you'll, of soil health. You'll get all those benefits if the mindset is you've got to get the right person in that tractor then it's not an iron limitation. It's how do you get the right person in that in that tractor, mm-hmm. and think about it like a planter pass. And if you do that, you will be successful with strip till. One last question. Um, you know, from what I understand, you know, we had a meeting earlier about how this is all kind of going to lay out with yep. dealers and stuff. What uh, drew you to come here today, and why Fennig Equipment? <laughs> Perfect question and perfect close. So I'll turn it around for the audience. Um, One of the things that I asked Adam earlier is, okay, what makes you special? And his answer was knowledge, service, and expertise. In strip till, as a new practice for many customers, yes, there's established strip tillers, but if we're truly gonna take it mainstream, the bulk of our customer base will be new strip tillers, right? Sure. Well, then knowledge, service, and expertise is the critical piece. It's not about the iron anymore. It's about the practice and about learning how to do it and knowing how to make the tweaks to the machine. It's a very different thing than a soil finisher. It's a very different thing than a chisel plow. And so that level of expertise to make sure the customer is successful, that's what drew us to Phoenix. That's your experience, your expertise. And as we build our market partners, as we call them, we don't call them dealers, as we build our network across corn growing regions, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that expertise. Perfect. I think it's a good fit and I'm excited to move forward. Lydia, what do you have? Yep. I think we need to wrap up. I know Bill's got places to go. Um, Our next podcast uh, in the future will be a sit down with just Lydia um, and going through some stuff there. So today she got uh, her first taste of the podcast world. Awesome. So this will be released. I'll upload it tonight and uh, it'll be in our email blast we send out every Friday. So I'll make sure you get a copy of that. Appreciate that. All right. Well, I appreciate everyone listening, and uh, thanks a lot, Bill, for your time. Thank you, Lydia, for joining in today, and uh, we'll see you guys on the next one.